everything that luxury brands like to promote in their watches is something which is valued in that context. Showing off, showing achievement, distinctiveness, attention to details, things, status symbols. These are all things that are highly valued. And think about all the money that people spend on purely cosmetic things. It's really just about status amongst the community. This week, Ariel is left watching the shop at a blog to watch towers while Rick and David adventure amongst the displaying brands at Geneva Watch Days. Plus, did Tudor pull a moon swatch? Listen in to today's episode to hear news, reviews and interviews with brands such as Oris, Grubel Forzi, MB&F, Maurice Lacroix, Ulysses Nardin, H. Moser and C, and of course, the new Pelagos from Tudor. Enjoy the show! Greetings and welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly. We are following on from last week's sustainability chat by instead of sending Ariel all the way from the United States to Geneva Watch Days, instead we've sent David and me. Yay! Yay! Isn't that right, Ariel? Two two for the price of one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We love to sustain air travel. <laughs> I think it would probably have taken you less time to get from LA to Geneva than it took me to get from Edinburgh to Geneva. It was a bit of a fiasco, to say the least, oh. trying to find flights from Scotland that are normally quite regular. But clearly, the whole economic downturn or economic consequences of air travel and all the rest of it are... It's such a shame that the global economy isn't more supportive to the luxury industry. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I think it should be more supportive to the podcasting industry, not just the luxury industry. Oh, well, this industry. is a luxury-themed <laughs> podcast, so you know. That is true. David, how are you? How's your hotel? We're, we're broadcasting from across Geneva. Yes, exactly. It's like Radio Luxembourg. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Radio Geneva. Yeah, no, this is great. <laughs> Finally, I managed to find a decent hotel, which is actually really very difficult to do in Geneva. Anyone who comes here, I'm, I'm willing to, to go on a limb and, 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 and bet that they will struggle very much to find a hotel uh, that corresponds with its rating. And this is actually one of the few hotels that is better than its rating. So, so yeah, good job hotel monotel kipling or whatever the name it very good i'm in the east west not that i want anybody to visit me but i'm in east west courtesy of maurice lacroix who have inundated us with baseball caps so i shall never go short of a baseball cap again thanks to the good burgers of maurice lacroix good. <laughs> excellent so let's just do a quick a quick tour of what's happened so far at geneva watch days david you were here all day yesterday i arrived late last night what did you see of interest yesterday? Uh, well, we saw a number of Grubel 40 pieces, which are just always amazing and a treat to see. Of course, so that was that was excellent. I saw the new H Moser and C with the Vonta Black dial and the full gold bracelet. It's it's a beast of a watch. And actually, you know, a lot of people talk about Vonta Black dials like it's all the rage. But what I what I figured and and what I realized is that. What made it special for me is that it really helped me focus on the tourbillon. So it's an open dial in the sense that at six o'clock, the tourbillon is, is revealed and actually lifted up a little bit, apparently. And it just really helps me focus on that because the dial is just black. It's just a bunch of blackness. There's nothing to see, no texture other than black. There's no color, virtually no reflections whatsoever. So your, your eye is just always drawn to that orological complication that is just so beautiful to look at. So, so that was fun to see and to experience in person. 
we saw the new Doxa, we saw Oris as well. So it's just, you know, there were less expensive watches not priced at 300,000 or 100,000 or whatever, uh, like the Group of Forces and the H Mosers of the world. So a new Debetune, just for good measure, of course. And yeah, that's basically, basically it for day one, you know, just a lot of footwork. It was fun because it was supposed to start at like 9, 9.30 and a lot of brands were still just unpacking very very casually like <laughs> a lot of things just in boxes the, you know the, all the windows and presentation stuff and whatnot so first few hours were quite relaxed i should say well we will come on to review some of those watches in detail uh, shortly and to be honest this show will go out as usual on a thursday we hope we have no idea what's going to fall we are recording four or five podcasts over the next couple of days so look out there may be it may be more than just a blog to watch weekly it'll not be quite a blog to watch daily but there will certainly be a few more additional episodes uh, coming up but we're going to start this week by talking to ariel about an article that he published this was entitled it's, it's clearly during the kind of hiatus ariel gets lots of time to just kind of sit and think so this is ariel's thoughts the west needs some new watch buying rituals ariel take us through the overall conceit of this article yeah i think a great example is a conversation i had very recently where we were talking about how in america somebody when they have any money they buy things like a house in a car, maybe multiple cars. And then somewhere down the line, uh, a watch comes in. It's a big maybe. You know, it's sort of like they have to buy a bunch of other things first. And we were contrasting this to a culture that I, might still be in parts of Europe, but was definitely something that was a little bit more popular in past generations. And that was sort of a young man would buy a watch before those things. You would buy a watch, you know, when you got your sort of your first decent job. And that would happen before you would buy yourself a house or, or, or a car, you know, in, in a lot of instances. And I wrote this article before that, but I think the context is that because we don't need watches anymore, we want them, we need to create more rituals to give us reasons to buy them. In the East, for example, uh, oftentimes there's a ritual where a, a man buys a woman an engagement ring, the woman buys sort of an engagement watch for, for the man, uh, which would be an example of a ritual that doesn't really exist in the West, but would facilitate watch buying. For example, in the West, when somebody graduates school, has a bar bat mitzvah or something like that, those can be rituals around which buying a watch can be something a retirement, but there's just in my opinion, not enough of them. And so we have desire for watches and we have a consensus among many people that watches are desirable status symbols, but there's still sort of a lack of reasons or occasions to buy them. And I just sort of call that rituals, meaning it's it's not enough just to sort of want watches. You have to create rituals and purposes um, that facilitate people buying them, sort of like how you would buy flowers on a Valentine's Day or a Mother's Day. Those are rituals to buy flowers. So I was saying that the West needs to think of more reasons uh, to purchase these status symbols or these these memories, memory containers, if you will, because a lot of times when you buy a watch, you think about a positive memory associated with buying it or getting it or something like that. So I thought, thought it was interesting to talk about, that, especially because brands can have a big impact in making those rituals through marketing. De Beers, for example, is very famous for making buying a diamond 
a part of the engagement process. An engagement ring was a marketing construct. And now buying an expensive diamond for someone when you want to marry them is deeply ingrained in culture, although it was just a marketing ritual that was essentially created. That's the basic of it. David, have you ever bought or been bought a watch for a specific occasion? Well, uh, strangely not. Not yet. It's it's not part of my, my family's culture. It's not a thing. It's not like we could afford like a like a nice enough watch and you know getting a Timex for graduation. I'm not saying that's a, that's a bad thing, but it's it's not something that that we were going for. So so I I, I have to say no. And Ariel, what have you bought or received watch-wise as part of a special occasion? Are you demonstrating this uh, lack of Western? culture engaging in watch purchasing or are you the black swan of this conversation no i mean there hasn't been a lot of instances in my life i mean i got myself into watches you know oftentimes the the outcome of these rituals is that someone at a young age gets a watch because it's sort of the thing to do and then they get into watches and they sort of stay there what happens today is people get into watches a little bit later in life is what we see. I mean, I got into watches from a relatively early age when I couldn't afford them, like being around, you know, 21 or something like that. But it was sort of an accident and I got into it. But if there was a ritual, like when you graduate, you know, um, someone buys you a nice watch, which is sort of a waning ritual at the time, maybe I would have had sort of a, a, a different family member or someone like that get me into it. So it's not that I've never been bought, had watches purchased for me. I think there was one time a family member did when I graduated law school, and it was hilarious because I was deeply into watches at this point. So they bought me a very basic watch, and I remember laughing hysterically <laughs> when I received it. It was like, I'm literally in the family the most into watches. And it was so nice that you made the gesture of getting me a watch, but you had no idea that I was an enthusiast. So what you got was funny. <laughs> <laughs> did you include the receipt? <laughs> no, they did. I still have that watch. And and look, I like it because it gives me fond memories of, of receiving it. But it was just, I also remember how hilarious it was that a family member bought someone who's a watch lover a watch without really knowing that that person was a watch lover, if that so makes what, sense. What's, what's the watch? It was actually a Turneau brand watch. It was a store branded watch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually just realizing, uh, having gone through this conversation, I've actually been w bought watches three times in my life as special occasions. My 16th, my 21st, and by my wife on her first anniversary. So, yeah, uh, maybe I am the back swan, but there we go. I, I do think it's interesting, and I do wonder whether... Here's something I would posit to you. Is... For example, Swatch Group's release of the Moon Swatch, a sign that watch brands are suddenly realizing, look, we need to engage with young people because if we don't, we're losing the next generation to everything else that is going on. Uh, is the ritual that they are suggesting to be queuing for days and then not getting a watch? <laughs> Yeah, okay, fair enough. It may, it may, have, it may have partially backfired <laughs> in, in, in that particular way. Interesting, I was in Glasgow the other day, brand new Swatch store. The last one closed maybe two, three years ago and was replaced by a Breitling boutique and it has reopened in one of the big shopping centres. I suspect entirely on the back of the success of Moonswatch and there is still a queue every single morning at that Swatch store, as I am understand it from being told by others, uh, to see if any new Moon Swatch stock has arrived. So whether this is flippers, watch enthusiasts, or just weirdos, it is still creating complete hype in the parochial 
part of the world that is the west coast of Scotland. So it is a bit peculiar. I did actually, I sent you guys both an advert that was on the TV from the Royal Bank of Scotland. And this is the first time, and I wonder whether this actually reflects the fact that watch collecting is starting to become mainstream because of all the appearances in movies, because of all of the sponsorships and brand ambassadors, because you've got the likes of Lewis Hamilton and, and these kind of guys who really do push forward the brands they're involved in and the tennis players and the golfers, that actually more people are engaging. And this was an advert for a banking app. And basically, I'll put the video in the show notes, but basically the video just showed you somebody walking down with the new app from the Royal Bank of Scotland downloaded and it was about creating your own personalised savings fund. And when you saw the screenshot of the the screen that the, the, the character in the advert was holding, it said on it, watch fund, £150 he had in it. So he's not exactly buying a Rolex. But it was the fact that in some great big marketing agency somewhere, for some enormous worldwide brand, someone has thought that a way of engaging youth in using their app was to use the title watch fund and that they thought that people would clearly understand what that meant and what that indicated and said about their app about their potential consumers or you know the you know the ambition they want to create in their own marketing and i just thought that was really interesting that the idea even of a watch fund has suddenly become mainstream that a bank or a i don't know it's wpp or whatever market agency does the royal bank of scotland some huge organization no doubt has tapped into this do we think that just watches are becoming more mainstream i think that it is but i want to go back to this idea of the ritual because what's incumbent in it much of the time is somebody more mature purchasing a watch for someone less mature instilling in that less mature person a special status to timepieces it actually i think makes a big difference if you buy yourself your first watch versus someone giving it to you and sort of getting you into this. I'm not saying one way is better than the other, but all the status symbol marketing out there mostly facilitates people buying a watch for themselves. I think the ritualization by default includes multiple people and therefore you have you have, you make it more of a social experience. And I think that that's sort of what's missing right now. We know very much that watches are status symbols, but it tends to be something that people buys for themselves to celebrate their own ego. I'd like to think that the watch industry could benefit if there was more gift gift giving in the world of watch purchases. So we just need to be more generous. Be more generous. Does this maybe need to be one of those things whereby I agree, I agree to buy you a watch for $5,000 if you agree to buy me a watch for $5,000 and David agrees to buy, you, uh, you know, the kind of circular giving right, so that we all get what we want. Uh, on the basis that we're all being really generous when in fact we're being entirely selfish? Um, you know, I think that is an interesting <laughs> point you bring up because, it, again, it's kind of silly, but what ends up happening is we both end up with a new watch that someone else sort of like had, had, a, had a part in. And there's something nice about that. So even though there's been sort of like equal benefit, so to say, what we've done is we've now associated a watch with experience and things like that. So, you know, it sounds silly, but... People should try it. If you don't want to buy the watch for yourself, buy one for someone else and have them buy one for you. You, Just like you know, Rick said, it might be very satisfying that way. I mean, I broadly agree with you, the premise of your article. I just worry that as someone who's into watches, the last person I want buying me a watch 
and spending serious money on a watch for me is someone that knows nothing about watches because you will end up with some horror show that hasn't been thought about properly. So so maybe, you know, maybe there should be like some sort of caveat in this. Up to a certain value, well, you're allowed to buy watches as presents <laughs> just in case you make a horrific purchasing mistake. That's an excellent point. You know, when I write this, my my thoughts are that most of the recipients of these watches would people who are not into watches yet. That someone who likes mm-hmm. watches and knows more about it would be taking what they know and then using it to buy a watch for someone else so that the watch they get isn't that, quote unquote, you know, <laughs> bad watch, but is something which, you know, sets them on the right path, you know, gives them a good start, so to say. You're right. It could be the case where somebody unwittingly buys a watch for someone who's a watch lover. And anytime someone's a connoisseur of anything, it doesn't matter what it is, timepieces, food, anything, you know, you want to make sure that you get something within their taste. And that's just sort of an outcome of connoisseurship. It's not really special to watches. I mean, I would have thought people would be quite nervous about buying you a watch, David, knowing that you're into watches. Like, they wouldn't consider them like, oh, wait a minute, I... I can't possibly know enough to buy David a watch. We'll just give him a gift certificate or we'll buy him something entirely different and he can go and sort himself out. <laughs> right. Well, people who know me know that I like weird watches. So, you know, anything from... I, the other... Well, not that long ago, I brought a Triva Trump watch that had Trump's face and the hands were pieces of his hair telling the time. And it was... <laughs> It really, really badly made. It's, it's it was maybe I don't I don't want to lie, maybe fifty dollars or thirty dollars or something like that. And it was it was fun because it did not make a political statement. It just had his face, and you know it was like a stylized thing. It almost looked like it was from a cartoon or something. And I could see someone pro Trump wearing this, and I could see someone who's against him or whatever wearing it. So it's like it's just a weird watch that me that tickles my fancy in the way that hmm, I wonder how will. What, what sort of reaction this will, this will get. And that's why I like the Joker, and that's why I like a bunch of other watches, because they get a different reaction than, say, and again, no offense, a double-signed Explorer that you buy for 40 grand, you know, that nobody really cares about. So, so just make it exciting. That's the first time that a Trump Mickey Mouse hand style watch has ever been mentioned in the same sentence as a Constantine Chaikin classic like the Joker. Yeah. Uh, finally, Ariel, you posit that esports may be the route into getting watch brands in front of people who are interested in other sports that aren't mainstream. Everybody can play an esport, not everyone can play rugby or cricket or has the opportunity to ride a horse well how was your horse riding by the way with norcane oh it was awesome my uh my thighs and butt were not sore like everyone else i've often wondered why why in america do you call it horseback riding do you ride other things over there other than horses uh, here it's just called horse riding you just ride a uh, horse. Do you, have you ever ridden the the neck of a horse? I think or the difference the is, is between horse? riding a horse and then riding in a vehicle that the horse is pulling, like a carriage or something like that. That's just carriage driving. Anyway, that's a, that's a, <laughs> a conversation for a different podcast. I think if we went back about 150 years, we'd have a much more to say on the topic. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so esports as a route in. I mean, this sounds like the sort of thing that if uh, Jean Claude Biver had been in charge of Hublot now that they would be getting into esports and not into football. Do we see any brands? I, I, I've not even had a chance to have a quick Google. It would not surprise me if somewhere in one of the markets Hublot is sponsoring an esports. It's a little team. bit. It's a little bit. That's the answer. Um, 
and esports comes in a lot of flavors and varieties and things like that. And we don't have to sit there and spend a lot of time talking about esports and video games. But the idea is that everything that luxury brands sort of like to promote in their watches is something which is valued in that context. Showing off, showing achievement, distinctiveness, attention to details, things, status symbols. These are all things that are highly valued. And there's a lot of competition from formal esports to just sort of competition among players. Think about all the money that people in games spend on purely cosmetic things. It doesn't help them in their game at all. It's really just about status amongst the community. And you really need to sort of like be a little bit involved in these universes to sort of see that happen. There's a company called Riot Games, for example, that produces a game called uh, League of Legends. And they make a lot of money entirely on cosmetic things. And I think this is very important because if you're playing a game a lot, spending money on expensive costume for your character is very similar than buying uh, to buying a nice watch for your character or for yourself. So I think that brands participating in this world in one way or another, either it be directly to sponsor games uh, or advertise within them uh, or to work with you know players and competitions and things like that. There's so much synergy that worked well for them in the past, things like auto racing and tennis and things like that, which today are also important, but very heavily saturated. And you know, I'd say that more youths are growing up watching competitive video game playing than maybe something like tennis. So that's really sort of why I thought that was such a ripe area. But of course, there could be many others. Cool. Well, let's have a quick chat about some watches. Okay, because we're going to try and mix into this show some live chat from Geneva Watch Days, we're just going to touch on a few things that are perhaps already more roundly understood in terms of what the brand's been up to. So the first one I want to touch on, also because there's an event coming up with a blog to watch, is Oris. Now, David, you were with Oris yesterday and we have on the website from Sean the revealing of a regular production Diver 65 with the Caliber 400. Did you get a chance to have a close look at this yesterday? Absolutely. We did see that, that new Oris. It's a, it's a great looking watch with the 12 hour bezel. You know, it's just something that you look at and you feel like, well, I could see myself wear this for the rest of eternity and just be done with it. And I respect those watches that are that are like that because it's difficult because you have to take so many different boxes. And one of my issues, though, is that sometimes these watches end up being a little bit boring or a little bit generic in some ways. And I don't mean that in, in, a, in, a, in a bad way or in a cruel way. But, you know, when you when you suddenly your life flashes, the rest of your life flashes before your eyes and you see yourself wearing just the same watch. Obviously, can be very cannot be something very specific or very humorous or whatever because you you might not be in the mood for something like that. But then again, some of these watches, I just look at them and I feel like this is a great daily wear or if it, it's a great only watch to have, maybe supplemented by a G-Shock or another. Now this is creeping up into Tudor Black Bay territory, yeah. three thousand five hundred US dollars. Does it feel like a competitive piece of work? to a black bay ah, that's an interesting question the movement is certainly very nicely made uh, the bracelet the way it narrows down is is a developed taste because i i remember that the clasp was like super narrow which is again it's different it's not something I, i'm not saying every watch has to be like this or has to be in another way it's just something to check out in person you know again i didn't have them side by side but i feel like the the black bay is heavier which will be preferred by some people and uh you know, a lighter and probably more comfortable fit 
of the Oris will be preferred by others. Cool. And Ariel, we have been speaking about on the website a team up with Oris for a summer celebration, the Arts District Brewing Company. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. On September 6th here in Los Angeles, we're inviting people to come party at a brewery with Oris and us. They're going to have their Oris equipped Airstream, which is going to be like a mini showroom, which travels around the country. They actually have a few of them. We've been talking about this a long time. We actually had a lot of ambitious ideas, but I'm really happy where we ended up. You need to RSVP to come. So it's RSVP at a blog to watch.com. And again, it is going to be on September 6th from 7 to 10 p.m. in Los Angeles. And we have an article all about that on the website if you want more information. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. And we haven't published it yet, but we also have another event happening on September 8th here in Los Angeles. So look out for that again September 6th and September 8th in Los Angeles with a blog to watch. Cool. So if you want to see, I assume the full range of new Odysseys that have been released, there's also been some additional straps released etc for the bronze what do they call the colorful range of watches that oris produce the 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 65 uh, cotton candy that's the one cotton candy that was the phrase i was looking for there's been some strap releases for that as well i think during geneva watch days uh, so yeah you should be able to see all of that i would hope at the uh, blog to watch event now We'll touch briefly on the releases from three brands, which I believe you've seen, David. That is the Grubel Forze uh, Limited Edition GMT Balancier, uh, the MB and F Legacy Machine, and the new Full Gold Watch from Moser. Now, the reason why I touch these at the same time is obviously we want to allow you some time for some further interviews today to drop into the show, but also looking at these releases, two of which have been reviewed on the website, it got me thinking as to whether what we're seeing, and Moser might not quite be trying to do the same thing, but it got me wondering about Grubel, Forze and MB and F as to whether what we're seeing from both of them is them trying to step up to take the game in the ultra high-end luxury sports watch to Richard Meal, that with all of the demand, I listened to a very interesting show from Watchbox actually with Tim and Mike, and they were speaking about what's been happening to the market recently. And one of the things they touched on was that the area of watches that they believe have been largely untouched because they've never sold a Richard Mule to anyone who's ever been concerned about money was that real ultra high end. And looking at this legacy machine and the balance yet gets me thinking, are we going to see one of these companies really try to step up to supply watches to those that can't get a Richard Mule? And if so, which one would you go for? Yes, I think I think you you sense that perfectly well. Um, that that is exactly uh, what's going on. Of course, in a scaled down version, but still, you know, Group of Force, for example, is putting efforts into virtually doubling its production, which is which sounds drastic, but it's not like you know Rolex making two million watches instead of one million. It's Group of Force going from one hundred to two hundred watches, right? So you know that requires hiring new watchmakers, finishers, etc. So it's a lot of work but at the same time they have new strategies and again that's reflected as you say in the product itself as well if you look at this new uh, gmt balancier convex then the price is four hundred thousand dollars 
on a texture dropper strap and 445 on a titanium bracelet. So 45 grand for a titanium bracelet. <laughs> and uh, it is <laughs> it it does have a Richard Mille vibe to it in 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 one way or another, but at the same time you immediately know that this is this is a group of forty and only 100 150 pieces all together are, are made in a year whereas Richard Mille is rumored to produce around 4500 or more watches in a year so this is over 40 times rarer or 30 times more rare than uh you know than Richard Mille so yeah the vibe is there for sure Moser has been a little bit more upbeat uh, than Grubo Force. So for a long time, Grubo Force was very traditional. It was, you know, aimed at probably or, uh, you know, probably aimed at an elder clientele by by their own admission. And these newer fa- um, flashier designs, they said, have successfully attracted a younger clientele. So, so it's working out for them. And I'm happy if it does, because these watches just to be able to see them in person photograph them and bring them to our audience and a blog to watch is, is always a privilege. And what did you think of the MBNF, um, the legacy machine? I'm, yeah, I'm actually seeing that this morning, but I really like where they're going with this Evo series of watches. So this is the LM or legacy machine split escapement Evo. And MBNF has developed a shock absorber system for their Evo pieces, at least for a lot of them. I'm not sure if this one has it, but their perpetual has it. The latest chronograph that we covered, which is just an incredible piece of watchmaking, also has it. So the goal, you know, of MBNF is to produce watches that are highly water resistant and shock resistant. So you can just jump off your yacht and take a splash with your 100 grand watch or 200 grand watch, if that is what tickles your fancy. Ariel, is it feasible to compare the watchmaking credentials of Grubo Forsy, MBNF, Moser and Richard Mille? I know you hate ranking things, but bear in mind these companies all are in different leagues currently in terms of who they sell watches to, their price brackets, etc. So it is the same order price and watchmaking because it strikes me that Richard Mille is not the best watchmaker but currently has the highest price demand. So if you were to rank them in order of watchmaking, what would it be? There's the visual look and then there's, you know, how good are they as watches? And there's a lot of arguments can be made there. Grubel Force has an excellent reputation for both visual precision and in, in the finishing, just excellent finishing down to the smallest detail. I have personally not seen any company do better than them. I've seen companies do nearly as good as them, but I've never seen anyone really do better than them. And I remember lots of situations where, you know, they would bang their watches on a table, including their tourbillons to show that they're durable and say, these watches aren't just pretty, they're made very well. Look, I haven't spent a lot of time wearing Ruble Force watches on any long-term basis because they are quite expensive. But, you know, I actually I actually take that with um, more than a grain of salt. I haven't seen, you know, other companies do things like that and they're always so careful about their watches you know with the white gloves i'm like these are things meant to be worn right like he realized that no one's gonna be wearing them with white gloves <laughs> all the time <laughs> mbnf focuses more on the visual design and then of course they're nicely made i wouldn't say they're as great as gribble force say but that's a really tall order and there's no one's gonna say that you know MBNF watches aren't aren't well made. There's just sort of a very exceptional level of metal finishing that happens at Grubel Force. And then the other brands, you know, they do it pretty well, but it takes a connoisseur that's really seen a lot of stuff to know these differences. And I think that Grubel Force is one of the few brands 
at those price points where you can at least dissect it and been like, yeah, there's a huge amount of hours that went into this and I understand why they charge a lot. So I don't know where the pricing is going to go. I don't know what's going to happen internally, but if you really want to pay for amazing finishing, I would say the Grubel Force is maybe not the only one up there, but very high in the list and, and, and definitely leader. Well, maybe we need to join the conversations together and Grubel Forza needs to get into sponsoring esports in order to try and get the leap on Richard Mule and its cultural reference. I think the distinction I would make, I, I wonder to what extent this battle, and it may be a battle we're just creating in our heads as watch geeks, but I wonder to what extent this battle could come down to personalities. Now, Grubel Forza, you've got people... We know who they are, but they're not out in front of the brand. Although they're new. Is it Antonio Calci? Yes. Who's now at Grubel Forge. Yes. I don't know to what extent he will start to be much more out in front ahead of Stephen, etc. However, MBNF, you've got Max. Max is the brand. And at Moser, you've got Ed, who is the guy who's out in front. I don't know to what extent you would view that uh, Richard... I really feels daft being someone that's called Richard to call him Richard. It's Richard <laughs> is out in front of the brand at Richard Meal. I don't know to I don't get the impression that he is He is. It's a bit less today, but he doesn't shy too much on the back. But he's someone who likes to be a little bit more discreet and he would prefer uh -huh. the product and the ambassadors to speak for the brand. I mean, look, when you do this type of thing, you end up making a lot of money and having a lot of very successful friends. I can completely understand how some of these people actually prefer to be a little bit away from the spotlight. So I do wonder to what extent this battle will actually be won in the hearts and minds of the people that are going to pay six figures for a watch by the personality that's out in front of the watch brand and people associating with the coolness of the brand leader and brand ambassador. We'll find out. Rather than actually the technicalities of the watch. Yes, we will. We will indeed. Yeah, it's a good question. Do exactly that and find out. That is us for this section. That, basically, we get to chuck it Ariel off the call now because myself and David are going to spend the day hopefully getting some more recordings with some of the brands we see today in Geneva. And if it all goes according to plan, we'll add it to the rest of the show. If it doesn't go according to plan, then thank you very much for joining us. It's been a really nice short show for a change. <laughs> so, Ariel, what should we be keeping an eye out for in Geneva? We should be, forget about all the watches. Cultural references, where should we be going for our lunch? Wow, you know what I'm going to say, and it's the Lebanese food. Always Lebanese, Lebanese food. Lebanese food. Always Lebanese okay, food. Okay, <laughs> David, Lebanese for dinner tonight, David? No. Does <laughs> that not agree with your Hungarian palate? <laughs> Look, there's other good places there. I mean, the advice that I always give to team members, I mean, David's a veteran, he doesn't need his advice, but you know, you, you, you can't let the watch brands call the shots at the meeting. You have to say no a lot and also say, can I see watches? That's an important thing. Otherwise, they will <laughs> see you there and nothing nothing will happen and, and they will not always know what to do. So I think what's interesting for the, the members of the public out there listening is they don't always know sort of the things we have to do to get the story, to shoot the watches, uh -huh. to get the interview. It's not like we show up and they're like, oh, let's tell you everything and here's the watches all laid out for you. There's a bit of a hustle that has, has to happen sometimes. And, you know, the more patience you have with them and the more drive you have, the, the better the outcome will be. But David is, is, is absolutely an expert in this at this point. Yeah, 
and I'm Scottish, so I'll just pretend I'll just be ignorant and Glaswegian about it and ask the questions. No one there you go. There you Good. go. So there we go. That's what you've got to look forward to for the rest of the show. So thank you for joining us. Do check out the show notes that'll come out on Friday and send us your feedback for inclusion and following shows. But listen out, there may well be another, maybe there'll be a couple more shows released even this week or certainly next week. So thank you for joining us. So goodbye for now and then there'll be some music and that'll come on in the second half. Cheerio. Talk to you all later. Cheers. We are joined, well, myself and David, David's not mic'd up, so you just have to shout across the room, but we are sitting in the room with MB and F, and who are we sitting with? So you're sitting with Arnaud from the MB and F team, communication team. Thanks for, for joining us today. See no some new new pieces yes, for Yes, we've for already week. seen some stuff that we're not allowed to talk about, but that'll be for another day. But talk to us briefly about what we are allowed to speak about, which is you have a couple of new pieces here which uh, look familiar, but also look very different. <laughs> Absolutely. So we are actually growing the Evo collection that we started in uh, 2020 with the LM Perpetual Evo. It was joined earlier this year by the Sequentials, you know, this double chronograph that we launched again with uh, Stephen McDonnell. And today we are presenting this LM Split Escapement Evo. So we are presenting two different variations, um, both in titanium. One which is limited edition for the MBNF lab that we are opening in Beverly Hills at the end of the year. So limited to 25 pieces. And this one, which is going to be available at all our retail partners. Now, I believe this watch is already covered on the website at blogtowatch.com, so you can go and check out the details. But tell us about what's happening around the world with the various galleries and stores. And explain to me the difference in what there is between what you need to be to be a retailer, what you need to be to be a gallery, etc. <laughs> Absolutely. So as you may know, we opened our first gallery about 12 years ago in Geneva. So the MAD Gallery stands for Mechanical Art Devices, and we present there all kind of different artworks li linked to, you know, kinetic world, cinet, so kinetic or mechanical timepieces. Now we are opening this new concept, which is called MBNF Lab. So it's not just a boutique for watches. We have a bit more. So we have some art pieces from the MAD Galleries, but it's slightly too small to be called a MAD Gallery. So we're opening three of these labs. Uh, this year, one in uh, Paris at the end of September with Chronopassion, one in Singapore with the Hourglass on the 19th of September, and then the third one in Beverly Hills, hence the, the limited edition we're presenting today. And can we expect other limited editions linked to the other? Absolutely. So we are already working on the one for Paris, uh, which is most probably going to be launched next year. But because our production is so limited, you know, we produce this year about 360 pieces. It's just not possible to make limited editions for for the three new labs at the same time. And are they likely to be of the same type of limited edition or are you going to vary it around the various collections? No, it's going to be different pieces. So not always the split escapement. Might be, you know, different legacy machines or ATM. It really depends on the, the partner and what, what they wish for. I know the one for Pirates is definitely not a split escapement. Okay, <laughs> excellent. Good stuff. Well, thank you very much for giving us a quick heads up to what's going on in the world of NB and F. And uh, yeah, check out the website for all the details of what's been released uh, this week in Geneva. Thank you for joining us. Thanks a lot. Have a nice week. Thank you. Cheers. David, yes. tell us where we are and introduce our guest. So we are at uh, the Ulissadam boutique just on the uh, shores of uh, Geneva Lake. Very nice place upstairs, a lot of room, a lot of nice watches, some food even, and of course the one and only Jean-Christophe Sabatier, the head of uh, product development, if I say it. 
correctly. Am I right in that? Yes, exactly. correct. Okay. Title? I, yes. I like to get titles right. Excellent. <laughs> now, we are going to be doing a, a much larger podcast with yourselves talking about the freak uh, and kind of a retrospective and the whole history but this week in geneva you have a couple of watches that you're launching so why don't you tell us just briefly for this week's show about the two watches that are sitting in front of me yes of course with pleasure we have chosen uh, for this geneva geneva watch day session to play with the rainbow yes and the idea from the designer behind the rainbow is the fact that there is a particular love story between Ulysse Nardin and the silicium technology the silicium has, a, has an iridescent aspect that displays some, some colors that are part of the, of the rainbow and uh, we wanted to play with this uh, proximity to this material and to uh, express that uh, design-wise through the bezel setting. So, in fact, we have uh, three editions for men and women. Uh, Listen, we've already established that myself and David are big fans of rainbow watches. Yes. and Big, 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 big fans. Uh, there is no gender for rainbow watches. Uh, you better believe it. Uh, and uh, rainbow watches are versatile. They are cool and they are very original and they are striking, of course, design-wise. So we have three novelties. Two of them are limited editions in the Diver collection in a 39mm diameter. So it's a small, rather small size. Mm. Uh, limited editions of 300 exemplaries. One black and one white mm -hmm. version with a diamond setting on the bezel. And the pricing on those? It's uh, 12,900 Swiss francs. So let's say that in USD, it's, uh, it's very close. Almost the same, yeah, yes. virtually. And so basically what our listeners should imagine is a, is a diver's bezel with brilliant cut, different colored sapphires that go in, in a sequence that follows the, the color sequence of a rainbow, basically. So every stone is a little bit different and changes color. And the, just as you track your you track the bezel with your eyes, you see like it goes all the way across. It's just, it's just a really nice sensation to look at, and to my eyes, it really pops on the white version, right? Because it just somehow adds a backdrop for this bezel. But the black one is very cool as well. I introduced this by saying there were two watches in front of us because David had, unbeknownst to me, hidden the third one, which he's just revealed out the box. So tell me about this one, which I have instantly fallen in love with, and <laughs> will try to hot swap out with the watch that I'm wearing. It's roughly the same size. I don't think anyone will notice me wearing this out of the shop and putting the watch I've got on back in your box. So you would trade your Panerai for I would not only would I trade it I'd trade the Panerai and probably a kidney at the same time so tell us about this which is this also a limited edition no uh, it is a very impressive piece uh, a blast flying tourbillon skeletonized caliber in a case that is uh, very particularly designed with a lot of uh, facets it's very typical from the blast collection is a design that is really uh, striking and here we have set the bezel with 38 baguettes in different type of uh, uh, precious stones and the, the case is a full black combination of uh, ceramic and black dlc titanium so we are playing, of course, with contrast between these colors and the full black design of the entire piece, including the caliber itself. That's just awesome. David, what, yeah. are, you, what are you swapping for? Your, your, the watch you were wearing oh, Whatever the, you want. Was, was, <laughs> you were goes. wrestled out of the door, in the door with the watch you were wearing. You. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it would be unfair of me to say what I, I would trade whatever I'm wearing right now because I'm emotionally attached to it. But you know, a lot of other things I, w- I would happily trade, and I can see because this is a flying tourbillon. The tourbillon and the skeleton watch is exposed yeah. on the dial side. So what you can see on the tourbillon is this silicium escape wheel that's yes. just rotating right there, and it actually has these purple, bluish colors that are reflected in the in the sequence of these baguette cut stones right next to it. So that's pretty cool. Are these available just now? Yes. And available where? Just anywhere you can buy your watches or only in specific locations? It's a worldwide launch, but we will uh, have a very limited production. Right. So you will not find that piece in every Ulysse Nardin partner, mm-hmm. point of sale, but we are producing this year only 60 pieces. Okay, okay. So if you want to get your hands on one of these, how many pennies? Are you going to need to save up? Uh, well, you will have to uh, save uh, eighty-five thousand uh, dollars. I think, that, I that think that's more than possible. I think the number of baseball caps that we've received so far <laughs> at the <laughs> show, we should be able to trade in on eBay oh, to get ourselves swag, one of these. Yeah, yeah I guess it takes a fat big bag bank to you know to break this because yeah. it's like eighty-five. I mean, it's interesting because Rainbow said you know watches have mm. been a trend and deservedly so because they just look so freaking cool and yeah. they add such a huge element to watch appreciation and watch design i feel like and you can quote me on this if you can have a rainbow version of the same watch and the regular version you have to have a rainbow version <laughs> completely totally agree and not it's only will i quote you on it i will play the audio of you saying it yeah no worries <laughs> just broadcast it across the universe <laughs> so thank you very much for joining us we look forward to recording uh, the rest of the podcast speaking specifically about the freak so do tune in for that thank you very much thanks so I am joined by Stefan from Morsecar. We are sitting in the East West Hotel, which this week has been renamed. Is it the Maurice Lacroix House, House of House of Welcome. Thank you. Yes, I'm pleased to have been your guest this week. It's been a lot of fun so far being here in Geneva and we've just managed to avoid recording during a thunderstorm I think so hopefully the audio quality will not be too bad I'm about to get the tour from your colleague of everything that's going on but I thought we would maybe just try and grab five minutes with you just to find out what's going on with the brand in general it feels to me like the brand is really taking shape is really getting into the minds of the average collector we hear a lot from the brand and people are very responsive to it is what we perceive in the media reflected in what you see in what you sell well i see it in the sales yep I see it in the mood and the feedbacks I get for the customer, but I think it's been a long journey because the icon, the icon journey has started in 2016. So we have been doing our homework since a long time now, and uh, it's it's a step by step process. Uh-huh. But I think it's it's now it's really starting to 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 get grips, and and people are are starting to see it. And how careful do you find yourself being in terms of what you do next? It was interesting. I think it was yourself that was interviewed by Ariel on the Superlative Show. And it was interesting to hear you talk about how designs are brought to like a committee and you kind of decide what's going to happen next. When you're in a period of perceived healthiness and success, especially after lockdown, etc., does it make you feel more nervous about what happens next? Or do you go, right, we've just got to kind of 
put that to the side and just push on to what we want to do. I think the period we've been through these last two, two and a half years have been quite shaky and, and mm-hmm. challenging. So obviously, you know, if, if you've been through that and you managed it well, uh, I mean, the, the time's coming now, uh, it shouldn't be too much of a challenge. And I mean, you're speaking about these committees or the feedbacks we get. I mean, it's, it's very important to, for the brand to get feedbacks. Here at the Geneva Watch Days, before we started the show, we just had the last three days our, our uh, closest partners, our wholesalers, and are also part of the retail partners. And we are actually already presented to a small committee, the 2023 program. So the products are developed. Mm-hmm. And um, what we've done is for us, feedback is important. So we show them already the products and now we're asking them what are they going to order? And mm-hmm. this is going to indicate us, have we got it right? Is what we are offering them the right thing. If not, we also take their feedbacks to to still change things because we still have time. We've presented things that are going to come out in 12 months. So with the supply chain, of course, supply chain is a bit more of a challenge. You got two, three months more now you have to plan in, but still you still have enough time for if we want to launch something next year in June, it should be all the latest until uh, December. What I observe from the brand is you've done something quite unusual, which is as well as what most brands like to do, which is like to push the upper end and release things that are more expensive and newer technologies which push the price up as well doing that in some of the range i've also taken a big step back the way in terms of price not in terms of quality or anything like that in the tight and that strikes me that you're really thinking about how do you bring people through from having the first watch bought for them or buying their first kind of entry-level watch providing the kind of full service if you like obviously you've still got quartz within the icon collection there really is quite a rounded proposition now from the brand. How are you finding that going down with your retailers as well as your customers? When we look at the collections and how we want to grow the brand, and and we are very specific on all our collections. Of course, you have Masterpiece, then you have the Mechanicals with Icon Pontos, and then you have the Quartz collections, and latest launch is the Tide. Today, Icon is more than 75% of the sales. So it's important we don't stop. We have to continue here. It's still pushing. But we also have to manage well the other collections because there are opportunities. Not everybody wants an Icon. Maybe they want a Pontos, which is more sophisticated and elegant. And Tide has been specifically designed for the younger generations coming up because the big topic of Tide is sustainability. And are you finding that the that that's what's happening? Are you actually finding that it is younger people that are buying? Because I do wonder to some extent whether people who are really into their watches and maybe are queuing for something or are just on endless waiting lists for things actually get the fix for just getting that new thing by looking at something like the, the Tide. They've, many people have looked at things like Moonswatch and, and other similar, not budget's the wrong word, but different price propositions from big brands as a way of, if you like, scratching the itch of getting getting that new watch. So you're finding established, regular customers also entering into that kind of uh, purchase. I mean, it's been interesting. Tide has been a very good testing round for us because designed for the new generations. And we also tested things with traditional retail versus influencers versus kind of alternative or parallel selling. What is interesting is at the end, it's it's our core customer, meaning customer for us, the retailer, who has been the most efficient because 
it remains a Swiss made watch so you have you know it's it's a technical discussion it's a technical selling it, it's also a new material it is also about the whole story behind it so you need recommendation and this uh, we see that our traditional retail is the best one to to do this the mission and in terms of tide who has really bought into it we were quite surprised that actually our core range the millennials have really bought into it uh, on the younger generations i think you do get new customers and you get new attentions because you are speaking new topics but it's also generations who are not used to buying watches of that price and they're coming into excellent well thank you very much for allowing me to interrupt what were your dinner plans to come and speak to us on the show today all the best for the rest of uh, of the event thank you much thank you very much for your visit and have a good evening thank you so far on today's show you've heard loads of stuff about geneva watch days hopefully you've enjoyed those interviews apologies for any dodgy audio that resulted from them but just as we were thinking yeah let's wrap up for the day and david was going to his hotel and i was going to mine we noticed that tudor had for want of a better expression pulled a moon swatch release what's turned out to be the breakout hit of the year just before watches and wonders appears that tudor may have accidentally on purpose have timed the launch of the new pelagos to coincide with geneva watch days for which they are not a part but other than those grand conspiracy theories we have both ripley and we have simon ripley's written the article for the website at blogtowatch.com and simon was on was it last week time flies simon it was last week that you were last week so simon was on last week so gentlemen what do you think i mean it's kind of the watch everyone wanted i think the only difference would be if it was blue but i think everyone's wanted a smaller pelagos they didn't need the helium escape valve i think you know people didn't even didn't want the date i think the only thing it's missing is the spring-loaded class but you know at 4400 i imagine it'll be a massive success for them yeah i really think that this is kind of tudor's mic drop moment isn't it as he said there in the intro rick they had a run into this maybe with the fxd um, where they obviously had a thinner case obviously that stayed in the 42 mil but i think they've seen from the most recent releases things like the black bay pro um, obviously the black bay 58 that people have really gone for that 39 mil case size so i think this perhaps became an obvious move for them in some way i'm sorry i can't get on board with a 39 mil case it's just far too small for anything just you you guys all need to just grow up or go and exercise or something and get some muscle on your wrists and your arms and stuff. Are you speaking on behalf of the Panerai fanboy speaking club there? on half of the Paneristi worldwide. If it's not 44 mil, it doesn't count. So <laughs> I don't want to hear it. The 39 mil is the ideal size. It's clearly going to be an incredibly popular release. Do we have any particular criticisms of it? I, I mean, everybody always complains about everything. It's just, it's just easier to complain about stuff than to praise stuff. I'm already seeing folk complaining that there's no date that it's got some sort of sunburst type dial i mean is it just this is just going to be a, a home run for tudor enough said move on nothing else to see here or 
don't know, does it tell us a particular direction you're going to go in? What's your thoughts, Rips? Well, it's kind of just like with Rolex. People will complain and they'll nitpick and then they're still lining up at their ADs to buy one. <laughs> and I imagine this will be the exact same. I'm sure there's some people who want the spring-loaded clasp. I'm sure there'll other people that wish they had a date. Some people will probably still say there's too much text on the dial and some people say that it shouldn't have any red text at all because it's a little too uh, C-dweller adjacent. Personally, if I could change one thing about it, I would have loved if they just kept it matte black on the dial and bezel rather than kind of going for that slightly more refined aesthetic but realistically speaking you know if you want a full-on purpose-built tool oriented pelagos they also make that too in the form of the full-size model and the fxd so this really is more of the dive watch for either the enthusiast or the person that you know wants a titanium tutor diver but doesn't necessarily want it specifically so that they can go scuba diving with it i'm waiting for the first person to complain that it's not got a helium escape valve <laughs> because we all really need one don't we exactly what are we going to do with our helium now yeah i certainly miss it when i'm washing the dishes or going in the bath you know. <laughs> those bubbles are not helium simon ah. <laughs> now, i believe simon you've already already had a phone call from the ad offering you one yes yeah, so they didn't take long to uh to get in touch today yeah I'd, look i'd like to see the watch in the flesh right now i don't know if it's for me only because I guess this wasn't really um, a, a tool watch like this probably wasn't on my radar as being the next acquisition. Um, but look, I really do like it. it for me, size-wise, that 39mm is absolutely perfect. So, you know, never say never. Truth yeah, is. I'm right there with you. Size-wise is perfect for me. Unlike Rick, I cannot pull off a 44 to 47mm Panerai. And so the, my biggest gripe with the old Pelagos was that it wasn't even that it was too large. The thickness was just... It, w it was a very chunky watch on my wrist. Not too big to wear, but just a little bit outside of that comfort zone. Obviously, 39's kind of in that sweet spot. It'll probably wear very similar to like an older uh, Rolex sub or, you know, Black Bay 58. But uh, I think the big story on the thickness being down to 11.8, that's quite a bit thicker than the full-size Pelagos. And I imagine those with similar qualms like myself will love this. I'm just waiting for the blue one. So maybe that'll be a Watches and Wonders thing. But for me, I want a blue tutor, and I think this would look absolutely great in just flat blue dial. Keep everything else the same. Just give it a blue and white treatment. I can see them expanding this 39 mil less pro spec Pelagos, though, and maybe doing a, you know, certainly a blue one. I don't think we'll get an LHD version, but I could easily see this 39 mil Pelagos platform taking on a lot more shapes and forms, kind of like how we see with the Black Bay 58. I did notice that Tudor were... I'm not sure the word is uppity, but uh, on their uh, Instagram, they were like, yes. And for those of you who are asking, it's 11 mil deep. So they were clearly already expecting the backlash of, oh, yeah, this is all very well, but how thick is it? Well, it wasn't in the press release. I had to go to the Instagram to get that 11.8 mil thick. Oh, is that I right? First, well... I, I first wrote up the article and went, there's no way that we don't have a thickness on this. And then, of course, I go to the Instagram and it's there. But I was not able to find that 11.8 millimeter figure in the actual press release. Oh, is that right? So somebody... Maybe they were just trying to get you to go to Instagram and give them a follow there, Ripley. Or Maybe. that poor overworked social media manager was like, I'm not dealing with 550,000 questions in the first two hours asking me thickness. We're putting it in the <laughs> debut post. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I also noticed that, um, Rick, in the, the social media post about the thickness, and I, I had to chuck a little bit to myself about that. But you know what it did also say to me is it said, you know, maybe Tudor really are listening mm -hmm. to the market and maybe they are taking on board a lot of this feedback. They've seen how positively received that T-Fit class was on the Black Bay Pro. You know, they carried that across to the Ranger. They've now carried it across to the Pelagos. 
So, you know, maybe they are taking on board some of the criticisms, some of the feedback from the market and acting and, and giving people what well, they want. Well, I think it's interesting that, and this is, I think, the third or fourth major release that they've had recently, whereby as soon as it's released, you can buy it in the shops. And uh, that's maybe something that Big Brother can learn from. So thank you guys for joining us at such short notice. Apologies if by the time I pull this down from the cloud to a laptop in Geneva, the sound quality is slightly shonky. Uh, Ripley's joining us from an iPhone in, in what he described as a polishing room. I'm not sure what he's polishing or if he's being polished. Not honestly sure. No, no, no. If you look at me, I'm very unpolished. I was up in the middle of the night to cover the Tudor release. It's just a very soundproof room. So I figured that would probably be the best place to, uh, to take this <laughs> Good call. Good stuff. And Simon, thank you very much for jumping on at such short notice. Uh, we will hear from you both again on the show soon. Thanks, guys. That's it for us. That's it from everybody this week. So uh, yeah, join us again on next week's show. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.